0: Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the Service Academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Leslie Stein Riley, a 1997 graduate from the U.S. Military Academy. In this episode, Leslie dives deep into the many struggles she had both at the Academy and in the Army. Usually, these struggles surrounded her weight and the negative messages she received about her femininity and being a woman in the military. Ultimately, Leslie found strength in adversity and built a career out of helping people communicate more effectively. Despite all the hardships, Leslie also had some major highlights and views her time at the Academy as a foundational step on her journey towards who she is today. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and
1: when you graduated? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in Cali. I always have the hardest time with the "where are you from" question, but I grew up in California, kind of born and raised there. And um, I live in the Las Vegas area now. And I went to the United States Military Academy, a 1997 grad.
0: Awesome. And can you start out by giving everyone one to two lines about who you are today?
1: Uh, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of online speaking and training around the practice of facilitation. So it's how to have more effective conversations and be a team based in uh, kind of vulnerability, being honest, and talking about the problems that are inhibiting us from reaching our highest success. Awesome. Definitely interested
0: to hear more about that um, because that sounds like it's very needed right now in our world. Um, for sure sure Uh, feels like it (laughs) yeah 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 but all right but to start uh let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college uh what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose
1: west point i grew up in this little town on in the middle of the california desert it's like really out secluded in the middle of nowhere but there's a navy base there called china lake so my dad was a civilian employee of the navy And when I was about 14 or 15 years old, we went on a vacation to the East Coast. And because we lived on a Navy base, he wanted to go visit Annapolis. I didn't know what it was. And I did what any good self-respecting teenager would do. I pouted the whole ride to the academy. And when we got there, it was the middle of summer, of course. uh, My dad looked at me. He's like, listen, you can either sit in the car and pout where it's like 100 and something degrees. Or you can come on the tour. It's up to you. And so I begrudgingly said, fine, I'll go on this stupid tour. And so I begrudgingly got out of the car and went on the tour. And they were, you know, talking about what it's like, you know, life is like being a midshipman. And it was already summer training was happening. And so there were midshipmen there and they were marching by. We actually saw some midshipmen and my eyes got really big. And I looked at my mom and I said, there's girls in there. And she was like, yeah, there's there's girls in there. And I said, well, could I do that? And she's like, yeah, I guess if you want. And And that was it. Like I was hooked and I don't think anyone thought I would take that path because I wasn't the most athletic person. Um, Definitely running was not my forte and that was definitely going to be part of my future if I did that. But once I saw those women in there and heard about the camaraderie and like this idea of working together towards common goals, like that was it for me. And I applied to all the academies. And when I did my visits, West Point felt the most like me it was kind of you know, the original i loved the just the feeling of it the cadets that i talked to there and i knew that was the one i wanted to go to
0: interesting interesting so that idea of teamwork was big in your mind even back then
1: yeah i just it was actually that the thing about at the naval academy that obelisk or whatever it is like the washington monument shaped thing that they grease and people have to climb and get the cap off the top and it's like one person is going to win that but you can't get up there without some level of teamwork and it's It's just this like weird dichotomy of like, how do you be an individual, but also help all the people around you be better? Like, that's what I saw when I went on that tour. And that's what I wanted to like tackle and figure out.
0: Interesting. So, okay. So you said that you applied to all the academies, um, Mm -hmm. but you also said that you grew up on a Navy base. So that's interesting. Um, (laughs) Or near a Navy base. Um, Yeah. So so I'm curious, uh, how did your family feel about you? Uh, applying to the military academies and then getting in?
1: I think like, again, I think it was a surprise to anyone that, that I would choose that. Um, and it, I didn't know this until I was actually had graduated, done my seven years of active duty and got out. Um, but it was not my mom's first choice, right? She's like, I wasn't super psyched that you were going to a military academy. It made me nervous as a mom. And now of course that I have a child, I understand that feeling. But the great thing about my parents was like, I never, they never injected like, here's what we think you should do. They just kept asking, is this really what you want? And they would do what they called reality checks. Like if my mom's favorite thing to do when I was getting ready was to take me somewhere early in the morning and watch people working really hard and be like, this is what you're gonna have to do first thing in the morning. Like physical training, is this really for you? Um, and I remember staying at the Thayer Hotel and watching PT on the field, you know, out the window. And she woke me up and dragged me out of bed. She's like, is this really what you want? I always said yes and just kept pressing forward. So um, she helped me, you know, w- whether it was paperwork or driving me to some exam or whatever I had to do to, to check all the blocks or get the nomination from the congressman. She was there 100% and encouraged me. And of course, they ended up being super proud that I graduated. But um, I, yeah, I don't think it was on their radar. And they were kind of surprised when I brought it up. But as long as they could see that it's what I wanted, they encouraged me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So um now you mentioned that you people were surprised because you weren't the most physically fit person. Um <laughs> did you join a sport? Like what did you do to prepare in that way?
1: So I was an athlete. Like I did play sports. I um volleyball all through high school, but that's not like a like I don't think you have to be to play high school volleyball all that fit. And I had played basketball up through my freshman year and the coach of that basketball team, my freshman year was an ex Marine. And he also coached the long distance team in the, for the, tr- for track. And I went to him and I said, I don't even want to compete. I just want to train with you guys so that I can get used to running longer distances. Cause I've, that's just not something I have ever done. And he let me train with the team and I, I did not compete, but it really helped. And, gave me some confidence that I could at, at least make it around the track, you know, eight times or whatever to run my two miles. Um, and I remember him kind of looking at me and thinking like, I don't know if she's going to make it like, cause he was an ex Marine, like he was tough. Um, I did as much as I thought I needed to do. It turns out, I don't think it was enough because yeah. that was definitely the hardest part of beast barracks for me was the physical part, but his help even in just little things about form and what to think about when you're running, like those were the little things that I had never even experienced. So his mentorship in that was tremendously helpful to me.
0: So, okay. How did your father feel since he was working with the Navy and you were interested in the army and this guy was a Marine, you got all these people around you. (laughs) Um, Was there any, any, did they care about that? Did it bother you? Like, how did that work?
1: So uh, my dad had actually, Actually been enlisted in the army for a couple of years during Vietnam so he he was an army guy so I think he had a little uh, bit of pride because of that um, and it, he loved during like army Navy week and all of that like he would always do bets with the Navy officers on the football game and and when I was there our class won every single year so he always <laughs> was like yeah army wins you know it's so it was really fun for him I think uh, he didn't mind being the odd man out um, and kind of enjoyed the the humor and the bets and all of that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So what was the plan? So I know you were drawn to teamwork, but when you were applying, what did you envision or did you envision what your life would be like when you graduated from West Point? Did you have an idea of
1: what you wanted to do? It's so funny because I don't, I think I was so like mesmerized by being a cadet. It didn't occur to me what was going to come after that until I was, you know, already knee deep in it. But any thought that I did have was along the lines of, of military intelligence. That mm-hmm. was, you know, I knew a little bit about that. It sounded interesting studying maybe a foreign area and was kind of intriguing. I had done a lot of studying foreign languages in high school. So anything that can kind of put that to use or where I could go deeper into foreign languages. So that was my thought going in.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So that's, you know, kind of typical for high school kids, right? Like, you think you know what you want, but not really sure. (laughs)
1: 100%. 100%. Yeah.
0: And I can relate to that being really pulled in by this idea of camaraderie and the images Mm -hmm. of, like, teamwork. And and when that's your focus, like, you're not really thinking about, like, the other stuff so much. (laughs) No. No. Not at all. But did the military lifestyle, um, did that bother you at all thinking about this idea of like service and being away um and you know traveling and you know also even the school itself is on the other coast of the country Uh, yeah how did you feel about all
1: that I mean I feel like I grew up in such a small town that you know it's that you either want to stay where you like stay where you're planted or you want to break away completely and I was more in the break away completely camp so I did not mind that I had to go across the country to go to West Point. And in fact, my parents didn't even fly out there with me. Like a lot of people go like with their kid and drop them off on our day and all of that. And my parents like waved bye bye to me at our tiny little airport in our town. And they're like, have fun, kid. Like, And I think like talking to my mom later, it was more like she wasn't sure how she would handle the emotion of being there and having to see me like marched off. So it was just a little bit easier to say goodbye there. And it was exhilarating and scary all at the same time to be like, I'm like an actual adult on my own going into the military. Oh my gosh. Like it felt like this great adventure to me. And I think that was the part that I did think about, like, I'm going to have a guaranteed job after this and it's going to involve traveling. And I love to travel. Uh, So that part was very exciting to me. What I was going to be doing for sure. I knew I didn't know the details of that but I figured they would teach me, like, they weren't just going to throw me in with no experience or no, at least education on what I should be know going into it. And so I just kind of trusted, I trusted the process. Like, I know there's something at the end of this, but right now my job is to be a, the best cadet I can be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that makes sense what you're saying, that kind of like sense of adventure and exhilaration that like, you're about to board a plane and do yeah. this thing that's super exciting and um, leave this small town, like, and get out and And it's fully paid for and there's a job at the end and there's so much prestige, like all that stuff. I mean, that must have been super exhilarating and exciting, but also scary, like also scary at that age. It was a
1: good mix. I feel like there's a a friend of mine always uses this term scare sighting. Like a lot of times when we think we're scared, we're actually excited for the new change that's happening. And it's right on that borderline between scared and excited that I find I perform the best because I care enough to put all my all into it. Um, but I'm just scared enough to like prepare and like, you know, be like, okay, let's not be crazy here. So it's like the sweet spot for me.
0: Well, if you're not a little bit scared, you're not growing. Right. And totally. we, we don't want to, <laughs> a lot of people shy away from that, but it's like, yeah, you know, like just reframe it. It's excitement. Mm-hmm. It's energy. Right. So, but anyway, I can totally. go down that road for a while. Oh yeah. We're not gonna go <laughs> okay. All right. But, um, okay. So let's, Let's dive a little bit now into your time at the Academy. So you told me that you got on a plane by yourself. You flew across the country. Tell me about that first summer, that first day. How did it go?
1: So, okay. Two things popped to mind. The first day was, I mean, I thought the bubble might, you know, stay around me of my excitement, my enthusiasm a little longer than it did, but my bubble of what camaraderie looked like really got burst pretty hardcore that day. So I remember getting, you know, you're, it's a whirlwind. You're drinking from a water hose, 52 things. You're getting yelled at, like collect this, march here, do this, learn to salute. So I ended up in my room and I knew that the two guys living in the room next door were going to be in my squad. So I kind of sat there listening to hear if I would hear someone come in because my thought was, well, I've already folded all my clothes, put my stuff away, made my bed. And I want to help my squad mate. Right. So when I hear someone go in there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to brave the hallway. And the kind of the rule of thumb is once you put your foot out in the hallway, you don't second guess or step back because that, you know, if an upperclassman sees you do it, they're going to jump on you like white on rice and tell you not to be indecisive and what are you doing? And eh. So I I gathered up all the courage I had. I walked into the hallway, did my square corners, knocked three times on the door of the squad mate. I heard, you know, come in and I, I went in or interser or whatever he said. I don't remember exactly, but I went in and I was like, I'm your squad mate. I'm here to help. What can I do? And so we made his bed. We put his stuff away. We hung up his clothes and I was feeling like I, this was what I was here for. Like my stuff is done. I'm going to help my squad mate. Like I had like a smile on my face and a smile in my heart. I was, this was what I came for. So when it was all done, said and done, everything was put away. It was time for me to go back to my room. I opened the door. One foot was out the door. So I was already committed to the hallway. There was no turning back. And this guy from behind me says, just so you know, I don't think women belong here. And I, I like, it really like shocked me. Like my first thought was like, it's 1993 and you don't think women belong here? Like it blew my mind. But all I could do was keep walking, go back to my room and like process it a little bit, let it go and move on. Like I, I had to take that and say, well, I'm sorry you don't think so, but I, I believe I belong here. So I'm just gonna show you otherwise.
0: Wow. And so ha- and how did you process that? Did it linger with you like throughout the rest of your time there then? I mean, you said your whole yeah, your whole idea got crushed of what camaraderie is. And so tell yeah. me more about that.
1: I yeah, I really I realized that there was definitely places where camaraderie looked the way I thought it looked, but there was a lot of places where there was an us, them, men versus women, upper class, lower class. Like it was very segmented. And there were places I felt welcome and places that I did not feel welcome. And to have one of your squad mates on the first day say that definitely made me a little, um, I don't know what even the right word is, like disappointed and, and hesitant. Um, like, am I, how am I going to fit into this squad? Like if this guy thinks that of me and he already said it, are there other people that feel the same way and haven't said it? Like how, so just, I started questioning myself. Um, but I still, it was like, all I can do is control me. That was what my dad had really drilled into my head before I left. You cannot control the actions of others. You can only control what you are doing in your own mind. So be good to yourself you know, stay your course. And so I tried my best to do that, but it definitely made my course a little bumpier than I had anticipated.
0: Yeah. Like if I just put myself in your shoes, like I really do feel like hesitant is probably the perfect word of what I think I would feel for sure. If that happened, because here you are, you're so open and excited and scare sighted. I think that's the word Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it just gets kind of like shattered that these people that are supposed to be like and, and he was he was in your squad. Like he is really yeah. supposed to be uh, and you just helped him. Oh my goodness yep. gracious. Okay. So that that makes so, sense.
1: Uh, yeah. That was day one.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So tell me tell me how the rest of that summer played out for you.
1: So the rest of the summer there were, you know, just like anybody gone through that experience, there were highs and lows. I think for me the highs were the actual hands-on like you know pushing through and doing the long road marches throwing grenades like riding on helicopters like it was the adventure that I had hoped for absolutely there were moments that felt like that and another highlight this was so emotional and it still to this day gives me the same vibe at the end of the first day reception day you get marched down to this theater and you watch a video Um, And there were two things. One was they played God Bless the USA. And I literally had tears streaming down my face. Like I felt it. Like that song was like, it meant something in that moment. And I still get that same feeling when I hear it today. And then there was this, I don't even know what the video was. I just remember there was a high ranking officer at the end of it. And he said, "Um, if I had my life to live all over again, there's two things that I would do the same. I would marry the same woman and I would join the US Army. My God, I love it. And I just remember I'm like, that's how I want to feel. And maybe the army's that for me and maybe it's not, but that is what I want to be confident about who I marry and confident about the life that I'm living, that I would make Hmm. the same choices again. And I'm gonna do my best to to live that. Oh, I love that.
0: So those
1: were the highlights. (laughs) Yeah. Probably the biggest struggle for me. And it wasn't just that summer, it was like always was the physical stuff. And I knew that going in that it would be my hardest part. But you know, at the Academy, they divide you into running groups based on capability. And I was like the lowest group and struggled even in that group. So it's called the gold group. And there's a lot of, you know, you just feel lesser than because the the green group and the the gray group, they can run fast. They're good. You gold group people, you're slow, you're bad. And so it Mm. definitely was another thing where I'm like man am i really not a valuable team member just cuz i can't run as fast like is that true
0: mm-hmm. and i kind of
1: accepted it as true and i think again it was one more ding in my kind of like shiny vision that i had was well i'm not as good a team member as people who are faster than me oh, um, so i really yeah. struggled with that and, and um, you know i i pushed as hard as i could and and some days it just didn't feel like enough and and that, that was hard to swallow for me. Cause I usually was such a high achiever, you know, type A go-getter to yeah. feel that way was a new feeling for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely tough too. Um, okay. So, so tell me though, like these things that you experienced um, mm-hmm. both with like these, this physical struggle, cause physical fitness is part of the Academy the whole time you're there. Yep. Right. And, yep. um, and also this, like this newfound sense of camaraderie and what that means and all these things you're talking about. Um, Tell me about how that interplayed with your time at the Academy once you got out of that summer.
1: So I feel like the Academy is great for giving you at least little reboots or fresh starts. So the academic year, you know, we rolled in, we had different people around us, new upperclassmen, and it did feel like a fresh start for me. And I really got along well with my two roommates. Um, we could not have been more different. We always joke that like the second semester when we were allowed to have a stereo, one of us had show tunes, one of us had hip hop and one of us had country and it just went on mix and we would be like, oh, okay. Like, it was just, we were all very different, but we got along. Like it, it wasn't a painful situation. Like I know some people had it at times. And um, so that fresh start was nice. And I feel like it just, all of those things were still there. Physical was always a struggle for me the whole time. I always struggled with weigh-ins, like I was always just a couple pounds over. And again, it was one of those things like is weighing five pounds more than my, you know, quote unquote, should should be weight really make me less valuable. So I struggled with that a lot the whole four years. Um, but the camaraderie bit, I feel like once the pool opened up and I got to, interact with not just my squad on a regular basis, but now I'm in academics and I'm in different classes and I have clubs to join, I was able to find my people and gain back that feeling of camaraderie in lots of different ways.
0: Mm, Okay. All right. So let's, let's dive into some of the highlights at the Academy. Now let's, let's talk about, um, tell me more about what you just said with the camaraderie piece. Who were your people? What were some of those moments, those memorable moments and positive experiences while you were there?
1: Um, so one of the highlights for sure was being a member of the glee club. Um, I didn't join until later. I think I was a, a cow or a junior um, when I joined, but I am still really good friends with a lot of the people that were in the glee club and we traveled and we got to, you know, perform. Uh, one of my highlights, this is one of my favorite cadet stories. Uh, we got asked to sing at a gathering of medal of honor recipients and the keynote speaker was, George Bush, Sr. And wow. they told us, um, do not bring anything with you because you're going to be standing for a long time. Then you're going to sing. And then we're going to, we'll let you go back to the bus. You can get your cameras and stuff. And we'll have a photo off with the president, former president at the time. Uh, and so I did not believe them. And I knew that I was told not to bring my camera, but I wanted to. And the only place I could hide it was on my head under my hat. And that's what I did. And so for about two hours, I had to stand still and couldn't move with this camera on my head and had literally the worst headache I've ever had in my life, wanted to cry. Like this was the worst decision I had ever made. But out (laughs) of sheer terror of punishment, I did not move. And so he finally gets up and he speaks. We sing. Everything's good. We start marching back towards the bus. But instead of letting us go to the bus, they've made us turn the other way to go do this photo op. So, you know, there was a professional photographer. Um, George Bush senior gets in the line like in the group of cadets. So he's one person away from me. There's one cadet between me and the president. And at this point now I've gotten the camera off my head. It's kind of tucked up under the back of my red sash in my, um, you know, under my gray coat. And, you know, the professional photographer takes all his pictures. And as the president starts walking away, I pull my camera out and turn it on. And I, I said, Mr. President, can I get a picture with you? And he turns around and he smiles. He grabs the camera out of my hand, holds it out, and takes a picture of the two of us. This was my first selfie, and he, <laughs> as he snaps the picture, he says, "You and me alone at last, baby." And oh my gosh, what is probably the best selfie I've ever had in my life. And it was just this moment, and everyone was like, "You weren't even supposed to have your camera." I didn't get in trouble. Everybody had a good time. We laughed about it, and um, and it just was the right mix of. I heard what they said and I knew the intention, but I also knew what I wanted. And so I had to find a way to make that work and it was just the right amount of wrong um, <laughs> to, to keep it on my under my hat. And so that was like one of those moments where I really, it was like, yeah, I broke the rules, but it it was okay. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the fun experiences in Glee Club.
0: Uh, that's awesome. What a cl- I wanna see that photo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll 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 uh, I'll message it to you. It's one of my faves. Maybe we could so that put that
0: was, in the show notes for for listeners. That'd be fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and the, so we actually got to sing for him again a year later, and I had the picture, and and I he signed it. So oh, I've met my him gosh. twice. Um, and at that somebody took a picture of him with his arm around me, looking at the picture, and Barbara Bush is in the background standing there. So those were the kind of surreal moments that only happen for cadets because yeah. you know. They're like the showpiece of the Academy, right? So they send you off. So that being part of Glee Club and those experiences were definitely um, just treasured memories for me.
0: Yeah, definitely the highlights for sure.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah.
0: But uh, okay, So, so tell me a little bit about your academics. Like how was that going for you during this time?
1: So academics was the place where I actually shined. Like if, if, uh, athletics were my Achilles heel like academics was where I got a chance to actually exhale take a deep breath enjoy myself a little bit so when I got there um, I had kind of an affinity for um, foreign languages and I you know they do a lot of like hey what are you going to pick for your major and you know you, you have to do some engineering classes and there's a lot of math and I felt like it just to balance it out foreign language was a good path for me and so I took an assessment, and they basically said, you know, too much Spanish to go into the in, the introductory class, but not enough to be intermediate. We're going to put you in Portuguese as your language track, and you can just start there and see if you like it. And so I started my, my plebe year in Portuguese, and when it came time to pick a major, I, you know, again, adventure and travel, they said, hey, for people who major in a foreign language, you get to have a summer uh, assignment that has to do with that language. So for Portuguese majors, that meant three weeks in Brazil. And yeah, that was what I said, ooh, (laughs) I picked this. So I picked um, Portuguese as my major and it was a very small group of people, very tight knit. Um, The instructors were amazing. Just they kept it really fun. We had Brazilian exchange officers, so they taught us a lot of really cool stuff about the culture. And then the summer before my first year, I did get to go to Brazil for three weeks and study at basically their version of the Defense Language Institute in Rio de Janeiro. And their whole thing was, you know, you're speaking enough of the language to get by, go experience the culture. So I don't like, I think we were out by one or two o'clock every afternoon and sightseeing, going to the beach, going to clubs, dancing, eating at great restaurants, and just having a wonderful time. So Two weeks in Rio and then another week traveling through the country, I got to, um, you know, take a little cruise down the Amazon River, got to go see other parts of Brazil that were just beautiful. And that was, again, I'm like, this is the adventure I signed up for. So my, it was one of my happy places for sure.
0: I mean, what a cool experience, especially since like most of your experiences, obviously at West Point are around the army and the military and Mm -hmm. what a just totally different kind of adventure Oh, that sounds awesome. And I just want to say as a side note, I lived in Brazil for 9 months, so I kind of have I like a, I kind of have a little bit of a little bit of a bias, but that's amazing. That is amazing. What a yeah. cool different experience like at yeah. at the academy. That's really cool. Um, yeah. so so academics it doesn't sound like it was a struggle really at all. It sounds like you found a major you loved, but what was the what was the plan? Like what were you thinking when you were a student that you were going to do with this Portuguese degree?
1: So this is probably a shortcoming of mine is that I don't often have like a big vision for the future. I'm a very like, hey, what's right here in front of me now? And so I knew I wanted to major in Portuguese. I knew that I would most likely get this trip to Brazil, which was, you know, awesome. And I kind of thought, again, military intelligence. They'll put me in a place where I get to do some work with Brazil or some other country because there's a lot of countries in Africa that use Portuguese. And so I was like, maybe I'll do something like that, be a foreign area officer. Or something um, but that's as far as I thought and mostly I just tried to really enjoy what was right in front of me and it turns out that I ended up doing none of those things um, and <laughs> once you know it's like you graduate you pick a branch and then off you go yeah. and I'm grateful yeah. that I picked something that I could just enjoy studying at the time like when I talk about it now people are like your major was what like how did you use that was it actually useful I'm like no nope, never used it again can't speak a lick of it now but guess what? It was super fun while I did it. So at some point I realized that I did not want to go into military intelligence. And I'm trying to remember if it was, it was one of my summer assignments. I got to go and stay with an aviation unit. And I saw that and I was like, oh crap, this is what I want to do. I want to fly. And Mm -hmm. so then it became about getting the highest grades possible so that I would be able to pick my first choice of branch. Gotcha. And you know, so it, it kind of shifted midstream where I was like Portuguese was good cause it was fun, but it was also good because there were a few classes where I literally earned a pluses. And so I'm like, I don't think I could have done that in, you know, chemistry or physics or something that wasn't how my brain worked. My brain is humanities, people, languages. I'm good at math. Okay. At science. Don't really care about history. So yeah. it's, it, yeah, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Hmm. Well, okay, we'll dive more into your career trajectory and how all that played out in a minute, but before we do that, I want to hear about some of the low lights at the academy. Now, you did talk a bit about some of the weight struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just share some of some of the low lights for you for you
1: so there's two that pop into mind. Um, the first one was my sophomore. I think my, my, my yuck year, sophomore year, and I had been slated for a really cool, like you get to go home and represent the academy during your school's homecoming week and basically talk it up, tell other people why they should join the military, why the academies are great. And so I had, of course, written to all my friends, called my parents, told them I was coming and I was two pounds over or something at my weigh-in the week or two weeks before that was supposed to happen. And I basically got sat down by my tactical officer and told that I was fat and I was an embarrassment to the academy and they would not be letting me go home on that trip. And so Mm. not only did I have to process what he was saying to me and that I was a fat embarrassment, but I had to also call all my friends and my family and tell them that I was not coming home. Um, I don't remember if I told them why. I was definitely super like in a shame spiral about that because I just, I felt heartbroken, like literally devastated. Um, Mm. and so it was, you know, of course (laughs) being, being the fat shame that I was, I probably went to the the cadet store and got, you know, ice cream to drown my sorrows in because I didn't know anything about nutrition. There was no one to help me figure out why I wasn't meeting the weight limit. They just told me I was doing it wrong, but there was Mm. no one to help. Um, Oh. And so that was really hard for me because I carried that with me. Even if I did okay on a way in after that, I treated that like it was a fluke. And really I was the chubby disappointment, you know?
0: Yeah. I was going to ask if that, if you carried that with you even beyond graduation, cause that's, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, yeah, it definitely went way beyond graduation. Um, it was one of the reasons I got out of the army was I got tired of being told that I was too fat and too slow. And those were the mm. things that like, basically, and, and what was never stated, but what I always felt was, and so you don't have value here. Yeah. Like all the other things yeah. you bring to the table don't matter because you're fat and slow. And so I, I mean, I definitely not only did I have to cancel that trip, but I think that event pushed me over into like really struggling with an eating disorder. I threw up a lot the last two years I was there every, of course, right before weigh-ins, but other times too, because it was something I could control yeah. and everything else felt outside of my control.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and I'm curious too, because like, so you had that going on where you don't feel good enough. And then, you know, did that comment from that, from their squad member during the summer of your, you know, your Mm -hmm. first summer, did that, did that continue to play out where you felt people didn't want women
1: there as well? One of the girls that became one of my best friends and ended up being my roommate in flight school, um, her, I don't remember if it was her squad leader or team leader, but someone told her and she shared it with me, women will never be treated the same. You will be treated better or you will be treated worse, but never the same. And that comment was always in the back of my head. And so I, I never knew when I was going to a new company or a new you know, classroom or whatever it was, will this be a better or a worse situation? And rarely did I ever find one that was equal. It was usually, I, mean, I felt that he was fairly accurate with that. Um, and so the first two years, looking back, like I was definitely in a company where I got treated worse than the guys, 100%. No doubt in my mind that mm. people like kind of had it out for me, for my roommates. Like it just wasn't conducive to like a happy uh, time there. When I got to my second academic year company, I flipped and, you know, went to a new company, definitely felt treated better. Mm-hmm. I ended up being the company commander of that company. So the tactical officer, at least, you know, had enough respect for me to put me in that leadership position. Um, I felt like I had a lot of friends in that company. The guys had my back. And so it was just really interesting. I, I couldn't have seen myself quitting if my second two years had looked like my first two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised though. Cause at the end of that first two years, you have that decision yeah. to make. And did you, did you question whether or not you were going to continue on?
1: I don't think I did. And it's because whether it's good or bad, I am an eternal optimist and I believed that my new company would be better than my old one. Cause I thought, I'm like, it can't get worse. <laughs> like, yeah. That's at least how I, I could have, I'm sure. Um, but I saw how some of my other friends were treated by their companies, and it gave me enough hope that I would flip into a company like that. And I think there must have been some, because you find out, I think, before you leave for the summer. So there had been some kind of like socials or whatever, where you meet the, the senior class or whatever. And I, yeah, it was just enough hope that I'm like, it's going to be better.
0: And you had your other spaces where you seemed like you were enjoying yourself, yeah. like your major and you know the glee club and and all of that stuff so um yeah. yeah yeah but that that is really tough it is really tough not feeling wanted there as a woman and then having this other issue with like with your weight and not feeling yeah good enough with that like those two things together i mean that is not a small thing at all
1: yeah it, at all it definitely it definitely was it wasn't until i looked backwards that i could see how much it affected me but it also made me lean on friends more than I would have, you know, I was a very, my dad always jokes that the first thing I said out loud was I can do it myself. Like I didn't want help. I can do it myself. Mm. Like I don't need you. And the truth is when you're going through experiences like that, you need other people to bounce ideas off of, to cry on a shoulder to whatever it is. And so, you know, 20 years onward, I'm still friends with the people who had my back at the Academy and mostly the women, like I'm, you know, friends with a couple of the guys, but mostly it's the women in the class that I became friends with there, who who I would just, you know, cut loose and cry about what a tactical officer had said or that I failed to weigh in. And, and they're yeah. still my friends today. And so it, it it deepened our friendships. I don't wish it on anyone, but for anyone who's listening, who either experienced that or is experiencing something like that now, and um, lean on the people who do value you.
0: And there are people who value you. you
1: know?
0: It's good to hear that you've, that you found your, your people, you know, to help you through that.
1: This stuck with me probably longer than anything else. But like, I remember one upper class woman saying to me, you better not look bad. Cause if you look bad, we all look bad. Mm. Like don't, don't F up what I've just spent two years building, or whatever. Like that was what wow. underlie, you know, was underlying the statement. And I remember being like, "Jesus, that's a lot of pressure, man. Like, I don't just mess up for me. I'm messing up for all women. Are you kidding me?" Ooh, <laughs> so yeah. that was where, to me, that it got a little cutthroat. Or it's like, Ew. yeah, that was the hardest thing for me is, are Are you looking at me when I fail and and being mad at me? Like, not trying to help me get better, but you're mad at me because I just messed something up for you too.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because like at that age and in that environment, mm-hmm. the messaging that you've been sharing that you were getting, and I know it wasn't, I, I, I do understand that you enjoyed your time at the Academy, I, I, but I, I, I am hearing you with the messaging mm-hmm. about your body image and your weight and being a woman and, and you know, you're young and you don't mm-hmm. really have a lot of time to process those things mm-hmm. in that space. And, um, it sounds like you've processed a lot of it after you got out of the military.
1: As those like, I, you know, whatever would come like, oh my God, is this true about me? And I would just tamp it down as low as I could and suck it up yeah. and drive on. And that was pretty true until after I got out of the military. And then I, and then it was like, well, okay, now what do I do with this? Like, are these things still true? And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it just, took some coaching and all sorts of other things, a yoga certification and and um, All of those things contributed to unpacking those feelings and, and doing something useful with them instead of just being mad that they happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The yoga certification thing. I was right mm-hmm. there with you processing mm-hmm. things. So anyway, yeah, I get it. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Those are, cause those are strong. Those are oh, yeah. strong things that they linger for sure. Um, oh Yeah all right. But you mentioned that there were two major lowlights. So was there another one you wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The second one was, um, there's a a physical assessment that we have to do there to graduate called the indoor obstacle course test, the IOCT. And you have to take it twice. You have to pass it or take it. You're supposed to pass it, right? It's part of your overall physical grade, your sophomore year and your senior year. So and um, so I did it my sophomore year, I worked really hard, there were a lot of things that I wasn't great at, but managed to find techniques that worked for me, I figured out how to climb the ropes, I figured out how to get over this monstrous beast called the shelf, right, this dangling six foot, you know, thing up in the air. And so I, I passed it my sophomore year. And um, I, I was very nervous about it my senior year, because obviously, if you fail at your senior year, and you have to go to summer school, you don't graduate, like you don't walk, you have to do like a little separate ceremony after summer school. And I was not, I was very, I was worried about that. So I I practiced Mm a lot, I you know did all the things that I did the first time around. And the night before the test, I did a run through and I was fine. And when I went back and took it the next day, I failed it. I could not get up on the shelf. And I was convinced I wasn't gonna be graduating. Mm. um you don't know because you don't know how much other it's a weighted event and it turned out that I had enough points or whatever that that alone wasn't going to tank me because my PT scores otherwise were okay but man the stress of waiting to find out the final answer on that yeah. nearly killed me
0: <laughs> yeah
1: oh but you did
0: you got through it like I you did said. so you know only makes you stronger, I guess, right? Yep. That's what they say. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, but before we move on to graduation and what you did post-graduation, um, if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, given everything you just shared, the highs, the lows, the ups, mm-hmm. the downs, the struggles, what would it be?
1: Um, the first word that popped into mind was epic, mm. and I'm, I'm going to stick with that because of the lows and how high the highs were, and how low the lows were, and the fact that I just kept going through it all. There's nothing in my life I think that I'm prouder of than getting through that. And I don't know that I would feel that way if it had gone smoothly the whole time. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, and I don't think it goes smoothly, really, for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so. Only
1: from the outside, we perceive some people to totally. have it you know, good, but they don't, nobody, everybody has their struggles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great word though. I like it a lot. Um, all right. So you approach graduation, uh, now we're, you know, we're getting down to the wire. What was the plan and what happened?
1: Tell me about that whole process. So I, once I did my summer assignment at an aviation unit where I spent several weeks with them, um, I was with an Apache unit and you know, you get a little exposure and get to see some of the other aircraft. And I knew I didn't want to fly Apaches, but I really wanted to fly. I wanted to fly back Blackhawks. That was what I saw in my future was these, you know, um, cool VIP missions and all the stuff that they did. And and so I, I put aviation as my first choice of branches. And um, my vision was good. I passed all the physical tests. I was a little concerned about the tests you have to take, where it's like, they give you an orientation of what's the, are you turning left or right, like spatial. out the window? Yeah, the, yeah, spatial, the spatial stuff. stuff. And mm. I, it was like, and I guess I just, I, I did okay, I passed the test, but I remember being baffled that I had passed, because it didn't feel natural to me. Um, branch night happened, I got aviation as my first choice, super psyched. And then that was it. Like, you don't pick a a post, you only pick a branch, if you branch aviation, because flight school is so long, and it depends on what advanced aircraft you get as to what branches or what posts are available so that was it I picked aviation I got it and well that
0: must have felt awesome though that you got it it did yeah it did
1: yeah and it was it was exciting because I feel like it was a new like again it was all those little micro like begin again kind of moments like oh now there's a new group of people new women who are going aviation guys that I don't know and that we get to have a new experience together, and whether or not we knew each other at the academy, we still have that bond of being in the same class of having this experience, uh, so that that yeah. made going into flight school a little bit exciting yeah, that's awesome
0: all right so so now you're excited, right you you graduate yep. and you head to flight school, so tell me tell me what happens
1: next <laughs> well, let me just start like I graduated, I did finish flight school, <laughs> it wasn't without its bumps and um, the, I failed a couple of check rides during flight school. And that's a check ride is, you know, when you attest of your aviation abilities or the skills they've taught you up until that moment. And I remember I failed one check ride because I had, I had made a mistake or we had gotten to a point I'm like, and I said to the instructor pilot, this doesn't look like I thought it would on the map. We need to go back to our last known checkpoint. I did everything I was taught to do. I did it. I completed it, and he failed me anyway because in he, he said, "I don't think you should have messed it up. Um, you should have been able to find it." So I wasn't perfect. So I'm gonna fail for that. Like it, it just it kind of messed my head up. Like I did everything you taught me, and yes, I made a mistake, but um, I fixed it. Like it, it felt very zero defects So I mm-hmm. that really did not sit well with me, um, and I had another instructor pilot who was just you know he was an old probably Vietnam era guy teaching down at Fort Rucker and I had a you know a bad day in the cockpit one day and I went home that night and I remember my you know my dad my mom and dad were big on visualization. so I sat in my dining room chair and I visualized a really good flight day the next day and I did all the maneuvers and I, I came back in the morning and I hopped in the cockpit and I just I nailed it I was kicking butt that day and um, the instructor pilot looks over at me and he's like, man, this is like you're a different pilot you know is this you or is it your your evil twin and I was like oh I don't have a twin I just have one sister she's younger but we're really nothing alike and he looks at me and he goes oh is she feminine
0: oh man Uh, and I had no response
1: I just sat there going like yes (sighs) so
0: that kind of was gonna that because that was going to be my next question about the weight And the woman piece, like all the things we talked about, you know, did you see that play out in what you were doing? And clearly you just answered that question for me. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that, that again, with this like messaging and, and uh, it's just like, um, you're, cause you're still in the military and you're still in a high stress situation. So there still really isn't a lot of time to process this unless you're totally going out of your way to do so. Um, Right. Oh, man. So and to be me. fair,
1: I did go out of my way to do so. My mom, because I was struggling like this, she's like, Hey, I went to this conference and I heard about this thing called life coaching. And this was back in 98. So this wasn't like a mainstream thing back then. Yeah. She's like, do yeah. you want me to hire you a life coach to help you process some of this? And I did. I hired a coach that helped me at least start to see like what my role was in this, what I could do differently, yeah. how I could change yeah. my thought process. But I mean, that's, you know, a years-long process. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow, life coaching back, because I'm a life coach, and I started life coaching back in 2009, and it still wasn't even that big then. I mean, now it's everywhere. Right, but, yeah, right. that's crazy. Like, your mama was way ahead of the time. <laughs> she was, man. She, but, had, uh, she had my back. <laughs> yeah, no, but, see I mean, I'm glad to hear that. because So, so you tell me. T- tell me how that impacted you.
1: It was made extra hard because my roommate, came home from her check ride and she's like I screwed everything up it was terrible I couldn't find where I was I was two map sheets over and he still passed me and then uh, that instructor pilot ended up sending her flowers or something like so I'm like uh, okay so let me get this straight not only like maybe because I'm not pretty enough I failed like it, not only am I not feminine but I'm apparently not a good pilot but does that matter like what are they really looking for so I didn't even know how to succeed at that point so yeah. it just kind of made me feel even more I'm like I wish I was pretty like she is like,
0: yeah, yeah. And that leads leads to tension between you and her and competitiveness and disresentments, And Oh my goodness gracious. Okay. So, so tell me what happens. What, what do you decide to do? How does this impact your career? Does it impact your career? Like what do you do next?
1: So there was one more piece. The second time I failed a check ride, I actually had to go in front of the battalion commander who was going to decide if I got to stay in aviation or not. Wait, Are we going to let you actually go on to be a pilot? Because you've now failed two check rides. Like, what's wrong with you? Kind of is the implication here. So I went to that meeting. Of course, I'm standing outside his office at attention, sweat pouring down my back. I get called in. You know, I'm standing in front of this ginormous wooden desk with this angry lieutenant colonel staring me down. And he looks at me, he's like, Lieutenant Stein, I'm decided to let you stay. And I, I remember this like huge wave of relief rolling over me. Like, thank God, I'm not going to have to tell people I washed out of flight school and I failed. And um, so I, I was kind of, I let my defenses down for a second because I'm like, whoo dodge that bullet. Yeah. And so I think that's why what he said next kicked my butt so hard because I was in that kind of like I had let down because I thought the speech was over, but it wasn't. So as I'm standing there, he looks at me and he looks down. At my records, and he's like, "Man, I sure feel sorry for the unit that gets you, because you're a liability, not an asset. Get out of my office." Oh my god. (laughs) So yeah, so I I'm like, wait, I get to stay, but I'm a liability. So that I think that of all the comments in my military career, that one was the one that was the most damaging. Because, but also the thing that made me work hard to prove myself in my career was. I didn't want to be a liability. I wanted yeah. to be an asset to the units that I was in. And I remember thinking like if I why would you send a liability out into the army? Like it made me question like leadership and and all of the things that I had trusted in so probably blindly up until that point like okay what's wrong with me but what's wrong with you? You're going to send a liability out to these units like so uh, yeah it was yeah that was I finished flight school. I graduated, you know, I, I went on and I, I, but I think that was probably what made me decide that I did not want to stay in long-term because I didn't want to live a life of being somebody's liability. So I was determined to get out and find a place that felt I was an asset.
0: It's just incredible to me that, the because all the things you're sharing are just, they're just such big, they're just such big parts of who we are and our identity and they're being attacked your character mm-hmm. your you know your femininity your your body like these are these are hard for any woman in society and then right. to be so directly attacked uh it just uh it's just tough i, I mean i feel yeah. for you and you're young you're still young yeah. you know you're still young like 23 yeah 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 okay so you you passed flight school so for the rest of your career in the army What did you do and did you find joy?
1: It was such a full circle thing. Like, as I learned about each of the airframes, the one that had the most teamwork, the most camaraderie, a crew of four versus just two pilots or a crew of three, was the Chinook. And I remember thinking, like, this is going to be my place where I'm going to find the camaraderie. And so I ended up doing basically a three year duty, you know, tour of duty at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. From there, I deployed to Kosovo and was in Kosovo when September 11th happened. And the small detachment that I was with when we came back to Fort Campbell, because it was just a six month deployment at the time, like there was no, you know, war on terror. Then it was just six months peacekeeping in the Balkans and we came back and I was the only person out of like 32 people who was on orders to go somewhere else. Everyone else was home for three weeks and then got sent to Afghanistan because of what had happened, you know, September 11th and, and our response. And so it was just, I barely got to catch my breath and I felt like this weird sense of guilt, like everyone else got sent to Afghanistan and I'm going to my captain's course and then ultimately got sent to Korea for the end of my active duty time and so I never did go to Iraq or Afghanistan. I had, you know, I did what the army asked me to do. I would have gone wherever they wanted me to, but that's where they sent me. And I, it was weird. I did feel guilty about that. Like I should have gone where the rest of my unit went.
0: That's so interesting. Cause like, uh, it sounds like you just did what, what was right for you at that time with your career and what the army asked you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? Okay. So, Um, did you enjoy your time in the army?
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's back to my friend who's, you know, team leader told her you'll be treated better or worse, but never the same. My first duty station Fort Campbell, I, the commander hated me before I ever got there. Um, and I, of course I didn't know this at the time, I figured it out, but it was, what year was that? 1999. So I had an email account not an army account i had like a hotmail account and i checked it once every two weeks or something like email wasn't like an everyday thing back then and he had apparently emailed me i it was over christmas when i was getting ready to move so i was you know celebrating the holidays and i apparently didn't answer him fast enough to his liking so i didn't get great assignments i you know was always on the outside of things and i just even though like that that was on that side the warrant officers were super fun to fly with. I became friends with them. The crew members were easy to get along with. We were, you know, kind of, you know, got along well at work, and that made it enjoyable. Um, but man, the command climate was just such crap that I—it was again like this, uh, just another confirmation that I didn't want to make this a long-term thing. Mm. So that was my first big assignment. Went off to the schooling. Ended up in Korea, which was the complete opposite where I was treated so well. I felt respected. I felt valued. Um, both by the commander, the warrant officers I flew with, the crew members. Um, and so I I had already decided I was getting out when my seven years were up, but that made it really hard because I I felt like I'd finally figured out how to be successful. And so I was mm-hmm. like, did I make a mistake? I left on a high note. And I was and just I, gonna you know, say,
0: and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it made it that's feel awesome, like, did though. I do the wrong
1: thing? Yeah,
0: it, It's awesome that you, that you got to leave on a high note and that you finally had, you know, a little bit of that experience I think you were hoping for when you joined. Um, yeah. But okay. So, so you get out, like, tell me about that decision and what was the plan and what did you end up doing?
1: Um, I got out, I knew I wanted to get out and it took me a solid Five years to actually be glad that I made that decision. I mean, it was legit five years. And up until that five year mark, I feel like I had one foot back in the military. Like maybe I could go back in. Maybe I could pick up where I left off. You know, should I go back? I was always questioning if I had made the right decision. And so when I first got out, I straight away took six months off because I felt like I had, I just needed to get my feet under me and connect with people I hadn't seen in a long time, spend time with my family just be back in the US for a while after being in Korea. So I took six months off. Um, then I moved to Savannah because I was in love and that's where he was stationed. And so I went to Savannah. That lasted a couple of months. Um, but I did get my first civilian job there, which was big for me because I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do in the civilian world. Like I didn't even understand most of the jobs that are available in the civilian world. So. I stumbled backwards into a job as a TV news producer. Hmm. So that's what I did for three or four months in Savannah. And then when I realized the relationship probably wasn't going to work, I moved to DC because that's where my sister lived. And it had been, you know, a decade or more since I'd lived close to family. So I moved to DC. I got a job in sales. That wasn't really my jam. I got a job at a trade association developing content. That wasn't so much my thing. I moved within that association and became a project manager, I was starting to get more into the realm of things that made sense to me and like, play with the skills that I I was good at. Um, And so the, the boss that I had at that time, um, the trade association supported the mortgage industry and she's like, I don't know if you know this, but the we're not doing so great. So this was 2007. Uh, and she's like, we need to have a series of really difficult conversations with the senior leadership in this organization. I would like to send you to get facilitation training. And I was like, mm. cool. What's facilitation training? So <laughs> I had to like, <laughs> look it up. And um, so I looked it up and I was like, man, this is, this is good. This is what I should be doing. And so I, um, I went and got the training and I started facilitating inside the organization and and so I did that for several months, and then eventually I got laid off because the economy was turning you know downward. And I had enough experience to go do that as a contractor. And mm. so that's what I did. I started my own company, facilitating, training other people to facilitate. And
0: um, I love that. I love that that's what you're doing, because um, just everything you went through with kind of like breakdowns in communication and how people are talking to each other, And also the fact that your degree was Portuguese, so languages. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned that a few times, that you like languages. And um, I think it makes perfect sense. (laughs) I think it makes perfect sense. I love it. Um, It's very me.
1: Like, I feel happy in the work that I do.
0: That's awesome. So now I have to ask, looking back, how do you feel about your decision to attend a service
1: academy? Even with all the weird crap that happened and the ups and the downs, I would say it's the best decision I ever made in my life. It has led to being in a community of people who who get the kind of person who would even want to go to a service academy. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you know. And the service academy was kind of my route to finding my people.
0: Yeah, your foundation. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what's next for you then?
1: I've slowed down considerably. Since I had my daughter, so she's three years old now, um, and I feel like I can start ramping back up again. In-person work, like I used to do a lot of in-person speaking and facilitation, isn't happening as much. Um, but I've had a few clients that have asked me to do the same kind of work virtually, and it's been amazing. It's been deep. It's been impactful. It's helped them unblock, you know, what they needed to move to get on the path to success. Um, and so I'm looking forward to companies that are going to realize. We're not going back to the way things were, and we want to create the future that we're excited about, not the one we've been handed.
0: And that's exciting, and it's definitely yeah. needed. Um, mm-hmm. Communication is changing, and it definitely it. We as humans need connection, and communication is mm-hmm. critical. And I love that you're taking that on because it, it needs to be addressed. I can just tell you from a psychological standpoint, working and <laughs> counseling people all over the world, like yeah. I'm telling you now. That needs to be addressed for sure, and it's only going to get worse. So, um, yeah. So I'm glad so. you're doing that. That's awesome. Very, very I'm- cool. All right. Well, do you have any parting words for listeners? Perhaps a key message to your mm-hmm. fellow Service Academy sisters before we go.
1: I mean, it's such a blessing to be in community with go-getters, um, people that want to make the world a better place, people who are dedicated, and also don't beat yourselves up when. You- you don't do it as fast as you think you should because that, that's something i'm constantly working on is i get this vision of what i do want and then it's not here right now and i'm like what's wrong with me why haven't i made this happen um so thank you for being the kind of people who push me to have those visions and i hope i can be the kind of person for you that reminds you that having the vision is part of it and the angst of it not being here yet is okay don't beat yourself up
0: yeah, i love that that's awesome trust the process for sure absolutely yeah <laughs> All right. And what's one random fun fact about you that you can share with l- listeners to end on a, on a high
1: note? Um, I learned to make homemade bread from scratch. So um, I've been making sourdough ranch bread. And for a person who had given up bread a long time ago, I, I've invited it back into my diet and I've been delighted by it. So That's making amazing. it from scratch, like I think I burn the calories from kneading the dough that I would, you know, in consuming the bread. So it all works out in the end.
0: Uh, that's awesome! Sourdough bread is delicious. It's <laughs> oh, it's delicious. the best. Uh, amazing! All right, and before we go, tell people where they can reach you.
1: Absolutely, I um, am online at leadlikeagirl.com. and that's also my handle on uh, on Facebook and um, Instagram, and then LinkedIn. I'm Leslie Riley. My maiden name is Stein. So for people who know me as Leslie Stein, uh, they can find me on there, Leslie Stein Riley.
0: Awesome. And I will definitely put those links in the show notes for listeners. So it was awesome chatting with you. I could continue this conversation for days. I have a lot more to ask you. <laughs> but uh, but that's enough for now. I appreciate you sharing your personal story with Absolutely. the
1: Service Academy sorority. Thank you, Victoria. It's been an awesome. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.